0: All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Compliance Guy. It is Tuesday, November 1st in the great year of 2022. And that means it's time for another hashtag Terry Tuesday episode on the Compliance Guy. I'm joined this morning by my great friend, Terry Fletcher from the state of California. How are you, my friend?
1: I am good. We've got great fall weather. Happy to be making, actually happy to made it into uh, November. So it's a good day.
0: Yeah was a little sketchy this year for, uh, for me. So yeah, I'm glad to be in November myself. Uh, you know, I was going to spend some time and tell you about these two puppies that my wife and I found on the side of the road, but you know what? It would turn into a typical Sean story that would waste (laughs) 20 minutes of everybody's life. And I'm just not going to do it, but let me just put it to you this way. (laughs) These two puppies have made my life a nightmare. And you have them Uh, available for somebody
1: who wants them, right?
0: (laughs) They are available. They are absolutely two of the most beautiful babies I've ever come across. Uh, The only condition is they have to go together because they are so dependent on each other. Um, I know people will say, oh, no, you can separate puppies. These two, from what they have gone through prior to my wife and I finding them on the side of a road, by the way, they just could not be separated. They are way too dependent, especially the little girl on the boy. So if anybody's interested, shoot me a direct message on LinkedIn or at my email address, sweiss at drsmgmt.com, and I will be happy, believe <laughs> it, happy to ship them to you. Um, I did get to spend um, Friday, Saturday uh, of this past week up in New York City at a book signing for dr stephen solway's new book uh medical politics i got to write the foreword of that book and got to do some signing of books along with dr solway and some media stuff uh which was really neat uh
1: how was that i haven't been in new york in
0: years um you're not missing anything okay there you go i'm I, i mean in all sincerity listen You know we stayed at one central park uh one central park uh which is uh yeah right there at central park uh right across the street from uh the hotel where we were staying um i will say this the the service at this hotel was impeccable uh they treated us like we were royalty and uh nothing short of just spectacular service um the food uh the food is Outrageous. Um, Joe and I went to a restaurant that I've always wanted to eat at. It's a Michelin starred restaurant. Um uh Jean George is the name of the restaurant. And I will tell you, really disappointed. Aww. $190. Yeah, $190 for two appetizers, two desserts, and two drinks. And my wife and I looked at each other and were like, really? You didn't even but, you get entrees. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. Um, there was just not the entrees, there was just nothing that jumped off the page to us, yeah. Um, well, I but mean, I it's did nice bring that back, got to go. Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, you got to at least see oh, it for it yourself and
0: yeah, and bucket list, you know. So that's good, yeah. No, listen, the, the service, the service as Jean George was absolutely incredible. Um, but the food was not on par and oh, it was okay. highly disappointing. Um, but I, we did, we did go uh and get some incredible bagels. Oh uh, nice. There's just nothing like That's how everybody
1: tells me exactly. that. You you haven't had a bagel until you haven't lived until you've been in New York. And I follow a couple of food yeah. bloggers on my Instagram account. They're hilarious by yeah. the way. But um bagels oh, are yeah. one of the things they're looking for. Bagels, pizza, and uh is it called pho pho That's
0: ramen fuh, stuff. Fuh.
1: Yeah. My yeah, daughter well, loves it. I think it's bland, so but she's like, "Oh no, it's <laughs> good." I'm like, "No, it's gross," but whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, we went to the, yeah we went to this place called Bagel Nosh, and their bagels were just absolutely spectacular. Nice. Um, you know, the the part of New York where we were, um, you know, Central Park West was um, really nice. Uh, no police officers anywhere, but you know the streets were packed and. Yikes! You know, That's scary to um, me.
1: How is the? How did it look for fall? Was it because you live in Georgia and I live in California? And here, we just have you know greenery. We don't get that fall color like everybody else does, either East Coast or or up north or you know like Canada colors or Pittsburgh or whatever. What's it like in New York? Do you, do they have the fall leaves? Is it beautiful?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. nice. So we have the fall foliage here in Georgia. Yeah. um But you know what? I'll post some pictures. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, a little bit later uh the, we got some incredible pictures at central park of the leaves changing colors it, oh, it really is something special that's cool um, are you going to put them
1: on your compliance but, guy you know, website it, too
0: yeah i'll throw them up but it, the last thing that i'll say is so you know they have these horse drawn carriages that take you all around central park did
1: you do it i've and, only seen that in this in the show sex and the city <laughs> i've never actually so, seen it so, in live
0: yeah so I was going to do it until I walked over and I saw the price. How much is that? It was 6875 for the first 20 minutes. Okay. And then $25 each additional 10 minutes. See, I would have done it.
1: I always thought you were going to say $500.
0: I would have done it. Poor Jill. No, No. it was like a, no. (laughs) You're like, where can I get you an ice cream? We're moving on. (laughs) Please, please. My, my, what don't, don't, don't poor Jill me. (laughs) <laughs> my my wife. No, uh-uh, it doesn't move on, move on, no. <laughs> because yeah, I'm going to be on Camp Jill on this one. <laughs> Anyways, here's the deal. Um, you know, I'm I'm from I'm from Georgia, so you know, uh the speed of things in New York City goes a little bit faster than I do. Um, I was, you know, I was pleased that we didn't run into any problems, given what you hear all over you know, CNN and MSNBC and Fox news about how bad the crime is. Obviously there are boroughs throughout New York where the crime is really bad. I'm just grateful that we weren't exposed to it. Um, We were supposed to be there until Sunday. Uh, I said to Jill Friday night, I'd really like to go home. We couldn't get a flight on Friday night, but we found a flight on Saturday morning at 11 AM and we bailed and got home. And, I was like, man, I can't wait to get to the farm and get on my tractor and there you not go. think about anything. There you go. So that was um, that was our week since the last time we talked. So, with that said, let's go ahead and talk about something that I know um, has got you up in arms, Yeah. It it's got a lot of folks up in arms, and it has to do with Medicare Advantage plans. So I'm going to stop because I don't want to steal any of your thunder. So let me pause and let me kind of. Let you take it away, and then I'll jump in wherever uh, there's an opportunity. Well, I appreciate that. So earlier this
1: year, the federal government, and you've seen the posts on LinkedIn with the OIG and some of the things we see on TV, but the federal government reported that 13% of denials in a Medicare Advantage plan would not have been refused under traditional Medicare. So let me explain what Medicare Advantage is just real quickly for our listeners who may not know what that is. Medicare Advantage was designed about 20 years ago. This is an alternative to traditional Medicare. It was supposed to provide innovative ways of delivering care to patients, subscribers of Medicare, at a lower cost. And it pays insurers or the middlemen a monthly fee per patient to manage their care. And anyone who's a subscriber gets perks, such as they'll pay for gym memberships or limited dental or vision care. And it's a very attractive package to a lot of patients um, and even my husband, who just turned 65, he basically was very excited to get it, and I know he enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan through United Healthcare. But here's what people don't realize: that instead of an, instead of innovating care, Medicare Advantage is very similar to an HMO, and it appears to me to withhold care a bit. So remember, traditional Medicare gives access to any participating provider but Medicare Advantage limits care to doctors and hospitals in there. And I'm air quoting network. And so they're more likely to deny needed care by requiring prior authorizations for tests and procedures. And anyone I know that has been on that, they're very frustrated with that kind of uh, program because they thought it was going to be similar to just straight Medicare. And before I throw it back to you, let me just give, give you some statistics that came out recently. So in 2020 alone, there's, well, let me back up a little bit. There's also something called risk-adjusted scores. So what that means is that the Medicare Advantage plans, they actually get paid an amount extra based on how sick the patient is. So sicker the patient, the more that they get. So, and because government uh, payouts for sicker patients, um, again, give incentives to insurers to exaggerate potentially the sickness of enrollees, Again, in 2020, uh, 2020, the federal government posted that $12 billion in excess payments were made to Medicare Advantage plans, which actually means they spent about 4% more for Medicare Advantage enrollees than those in traditional Medicare. There was also something on Becker's Health News that, and this is just, actually, this was just posted last week, and that's why I wanted this to be our, our topic today. So Medicare is finally doing something, and I wish they would have done it earlier, but this is what they're doing instead of limiting the the programs. They're cracking down on deceptive marketing practices, so they'll no longer allow Medicare Advantage or Part D prescription drug plans to advertise on TV without agency approval first, and that's effective January 1st, because... It looks like they are misleading, confusing or giving inaccurate information from plans, basically telling patients, oh, no, it's just like everything else that, you know, just like regular straight Medicare. And that's not the case. And so what's attractive to a Medicare Advantage enrollee is that if you're not sick yet, the premiums, the low premiums, the perks, that sounds awesome. But once your situation changes and you develop an illness, And you want to find a specialist or a hospital that may be out of network, or maybe you want to go to a cancer center. Well, now you have to get authorization. You have to get approval. And most of the time, they don't say yes to that. So Medicare patients need to be very um, aware, or I should say beware of what they're dealing with. And then there was another statement, and then I'll throw it back to you for a little bit, Sean, because I know you've got some comments on this. Here's what was found with not just KFF, which is a company that um, investigates things like this, and then also OIG found um, the health system Kaiser, which is one of the biggest, and this is really big in California. They actually, and these are alleged complaints that actually they have been fined for and they settled out of court for, so this is not talking out of turn. They called doctors in during a lunch and after work and urged them to add additional illnesses to the medical records of patients that they hadn't seen in weeks. And doctors who found enough new diagnoses could earn bottles of champagne or a bonus in their paycheck. Anthem now call Elevance Health. They paid more to doctors who said their patients were sicker. And United Healthcare told their workers to mine old medical records for more illnesses. And when they couldn't find enough, they sent them back to try again. So the Department of Justice is all over this. And there's the lawsuits that are pending right now is saying that this led to diagnoses of serious diseases that may never existed, um, but it let them collect more money from the federal government's Medicare Advantage program. And so, you know, it just as a result, we're, it's, it's being bled money and Medicare may not always be there. You know, every, every year we hear, oh my gosh, it's going to go away in this year. And so right now, eight of the 10 biggest Medicare Advantage insurers, um, representing more than two-thirds of the market, have faced federal lawsuits alleging efforts that over-diagnose their customers. And there's a, a line there that it could be fraudulent. So I'll send it back to you before I continue. I have
0: a lot more, but that's that's the gist. Yeah, so, you know, and that's that's great information. You know, it's, it's really interesting because if you take a look at the 2023 CMS framework, Uh, the document that was put out. It talks about advanced shared savings and accelerating to new ACOs. And Medicare is proposing that by 2030, all enrollees in Medicare Part B will be enrolled in an ACO. And why are they doing that? Well, it's to control costs, to put limitations if you will to ration healthcare services um and to once again make the primary cares gatekeepers just as they are under mcos and hmos right now but since we're talking about medicare advantage plans <clears throat> i wanted to pull four oig reports and just quickly talk about these so the first of them is the Medicare Advantage compliance audit of specific diagnosis codes that Tufts Health Plan submitted to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So you got to understand the reason why Medicare um, performs these types of audits is to ensure that um, Advantage Medicare Advantage organizations are paid in accordance for providing benefits to enrollees with diagnoses associated with more intensive use of healthcare resources than their healthier enrollees. And what the government has found in each of these audits that I'm going to share with you is that the diagnoses that were submitted by these health plans were inflated, resulting in more money. So as an example for this one, OIG sampled 212 unique enrollees with high-risk diagnosis codes for which Tufts received higher payments. They limited their review to the portions of the payments that were associated with these high-risk diagnoses, which was $746,427. So they looked at 58 claims. Well, I'm sorry. They looked at 212 unique enrollees. And for 58 of the 212 sampled enrollees, the records validated the reviewed hierarchical condition categories, the HCCs. However, for 154 enrollees, the diagnosis codes were not supported in the medical records. And according to OIG, the errors occurred because the policies and procedures that Tufts had to ensure compliance with CMS's program requirements as mandated by federal regulations could be improved. And as a result, the HCCs for some of the high-risk diagnosis codes were not validated. So on the basis of the OIG's audit samples, they estimated that Tufts received at least $3.7 in net overpayments for the high-risk diagnosis codes between 2015 and 2016. And the one thing
1: that's about a lot this, of money. I just one to comment That's taxpayer on money. You. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Let me just comment on something before you get on the other ones. Here's what I think that some people miss on um, the medical advantage. So one of the things is the fact that it has to be an active treated condition. So when Sean mentioned the HCCs, the hierarchical codes, the, the sicker patient codes, if a patient has a condition that's resolved, like cancer, if the patient's had a condition that can't be determined based on what was documented in the the lab tests in the diagnostics. If you can't determine it by that, then you can't code it. There was, I mean, just a, a quick example, and then I'll send it send it back over. There was um, a plan, Cigna that decided they were going to send all some their nurses out and do these. Um, and to get, take all these labs and everything, and they were diagnosing patients with bone cancer, and they didn't have any bone density scans, they didn't have anything that could diagnose the patients with that just lab tests, that gave a suspected possibility of a cancer. And they still coded what they thought, and again, I'm air quoting, um, would be there, and they got paid millions of dollars extra. And I mean, I'm gonna throw it back to you because I know you're dealing with the OIG stuff, but Sean, here's my problem. Congress gave Medicare control of this and said, you need to manage this and look into it. But as somebody who audits for Medicare plans, the only thing I'm noticing they're doing is that they're they are asking for some refunds when it's found on only the 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 charts that they are finding the noncompliance. They're not looking at that and and then extrapolating and saying, well, if you're, if I'm seeing it, you know, 50% errors on these, you know, 158 patients, then you have to be doing it throughout your, you know, your system. And just look at Kaiser Lobby there. I mean, they're not only the plan administrator, but they're also the healthcare system. Talk about putting some pressure on physicians to do what they have to do when it's almost like, and I'm gonna get just, I'm just gonna put it out there. When you have a control from one, sector, look at the House and the Senate, and also who's sitting in the White House. When you have control on one side, it, things don't get balanced. They don't get, there's no checks and balances. You have to have balance, meaning that having both control over the, the health plan and also control over the administration of the money, that's where you're, oh my gosh, why isn't Medicare doing anything about it?
0: I, I don't understand that concept. Because of politics. That's why. You know, people whether they want to believe it or not, healthcare is extremely politically driven, um, and it's not in a good way. And what I will say is this: whether it's the Republicans in, in 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 power or it's the Democrats in power, they have all seemed to do what's politically expedient for themselves, rather than putting patient care before profitability well did and you see
1: the last thing there's there's no legislative oversight in and both the democrats and definitely. the republicans both of them have embraced medicare advantage plans because they're so popular but there's no legislative report re, reforms on this and the insurance lobby who make billions of dollars every year That's they're right. very strong that insurance lobby is a cash cow
0: well, if you look at what's getting put into their packs and their super PACs by the largest insurance lobbyist groups, the pharmaceutical corporations, um, you know, it's no wonder it's the wild West out there. And, <clears throat> you know, it's, look, we can get into a whole political conversation about it, but, you know, one of the things that, i wrote about in the foreword of medical politics is that you can look at the last four presidents and find extreme fault with each of them on why our healthcare system is in the state that it's in because each of these presidents whether it was george w bush bill clinton donald trump or joe biden each one of them has continued to ignore the glaring issues, which are the special interest groups and the lobbyists. And, you know, they they failed to do the right things. You know, Obama, you know, mm-hmm. passing ACA, Trump failing to repeal ACA because the Republicans didn't have any kind of a, a cohesive plan or any kind of a plan. You know, uh, you know, George W. Bush, you know, had so many flaws. In in, you know, his lack of policies or what they called policies for health care, Biden, I'm not even going to go there. Don't, I don't, don't think even get started. Is.
1: But here's here's what I don't understand. So even before the first lawsuits were filed, regulators and government watchdogs, they could see the number of profitable or escalating diagnoses um, increasing. But Medicare didn't do anything to damp down the overcharging. And I even looked on the um, MedPAC, Medicare Advisory Commission, and they recommended reducing all the plans payments, thinking that would help. And CMS, or I'm sorry, Congress actually ordered several rounds of cuts and said, CMS, we're giving you the power to make these additional reductions. And they still haven't done it. I mean, I'm like, okay, here's something interesting. And this is yeah, okay. Yeah. This this might this might give you some uh, not a chuckle, but kind of like a oh, I get it. And this is for our listeners to say. Here's where Sean's my frustration is because when we do our due diligence before we bring you a topic, we actually really research this out to the point where we're like oh my gosh, should we even be talking about this because it's crazy. But here's something that's interesting. So some of the agency's top leaders have close ties to the industry. So. Agency, I'm meaning Medicare. So Marilyn Tavener, a former CMS administrator who left in 2015, she then ran the main trade group for health insurers. She was then replaced by Andy Slavitt, a former executive at United Healthcare. Jonathan Bloom, the agency's chief um, operating officer, worked for an insurer after leaving the agency in 2014, then became an industry consultant and then again returned to Medicare last year. It's like a revolving door. So they, they leave Medicare, they find out what the industry is doing and then they go back to Medicare it's like, talk about insider training or it's like, oh, what's yeah. going on here? There's no program integrity.
0: No, no. Let me, let me quickly go back to these last few, um, OIG reports, uh, cause I want to show you, they get a little bit worse as we talk about them. This next one is Humana choice. Okay. So this one was an audit done for years 2016 and 2017, where they sampled 270 unique enrollees. Okay. For the 200 and um for the 270, 207 that were sampled, the diagnosis codes that Humana Choice submitted to CMS were not supported. So 207 out of 270, and OIG estimated that Humana Choice received at least $34.4 million in overpayments. 34.4 million. In that's in That's just that's just disgusting.
1: Are they being told that they have to give it back at least? Or are they just being are they being oh, fined? Yeah, 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 what, yeah. I
0: mean, what's going yeah, on with that? They, they, yeah, they got to give the money back. Um This one is Cigna Health Spring, okay, of Florida. Cigna Health Spring of Florida. So they sampled 200 enrollees with at least one diagnosis code that mapped to an HCC for 2015. Um, Cigna Health Spring provided medical records as supported for 1,470 HCCs associated with the enrollees. Um, What they determined from this one here was that Cigna, and this one's not bad, received a net overpayment of $39,612. So not too bad, but still a problem. Because remember, these are federal taxpayer dollars. And then the last one is WellCare of Florida. And this WellCare of Florida, so let's see. So of the ninety, so for 97 of the 250 sampled enrollees, 153 enrollees of the 250, their diagnosis codes were not supported. And they determined that the federal government needs to be refunded $3.5 million of the estimated overpayments. They have to identify for the high risk diagnosis included in the report similar instances of noncompliance that occurred before or after their audit. So basically, they have to go back the same way that a practice does, based on, you know, like if you're talking about a civil matter, it's a six year look back period. So they'd have to go back, you know, and then they'd have to report any future errors and overpayments as well. You know, look. Again, I go back to the point that you were making, Terry, and one of the things that I said, which is, you know, it's it these Medicare Advantage plans because there's no real true oversight by CMS, it's left up to the good men and women at the Office of Inspector General to go and do all these audits, but remember, OIG is not a huge agency with tons of, you know, human and financial capital. So If this is what they're catching, think about how many Medicare advantage plans there actually are. If if they're just on these four reports, have caught almost $50 million. Okay. Could you imagine if you multiply that by the number or if you extrapolate that by the number of Medicare Advantage plans that are actually out there? Could you imagine what the potential loss to taxpayers are? Talk about no, it, fraud, it, waste, and
1: abuse. I, it's it's crazy. The one, the one lawsuit that's still pending, and they're going after it with Anthem in the 2020 lawsuit I mentioned, the government said Anthem instructed uh, programmers to scour patients' charts for revenue-generating codes. And here's a couple of examples. One patient was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. No other doctor reported the condition. There was no treatment for it. But they pulled it out of there and Anthem received an additional $2,693.27. Another patient was coded for active lung cancer. No evidence of the disease in any other record. And Anthem was paid an additional $7,080.74. That case is continuing. Makes me wonder, you know what? Now I know why they changed their name to Elevance. But the Justice Department said thousands of inaccurate diagnoses were were not, and they said deleted, which I didn't like that in the statement because we know we don't delete, but they should have retired them. They should have not had them on the active ledger for that patient. And it said, according to the lawsuit, a finance executive calculated that eliminating the inaccurate diagnoses, so the diagnoses that were not active, would reduce the company's 2017 earnings from review, reviewing medical charts by 86 million or 72%. Oh, my gosh. I mean, here's what I kind of want the listeners to, I guess, take away from some of this. I don't want to discourage people just from...
0: Yeah,
1: I don't want to discourage people from enrolling in Medicare Advantage because there is an advantage. Um, I mean, they, you know, premiums are lower. They do have some perks. I mean, even some people can get food service, you know, traditional Medicare doesn't have that, that dental and the the vision care. So I understand that. But here's what I really, really want people to understand, especially if you're heading towards that age or you have patients that are heading towards that age. Let's say that you're considering, um, you know, trying to go from either straight Medicare to Medicare Advantage. Okay, here's a little known fact, but I've dealt with this with my dad. So, Medicare is when you're enrolled in uh, when you're enrolled in Medicare Advantage for over 12 months. But let's say you're just frustrated because of all the pre-authorizations and the hurdles to get the care that you want. But you so you want to change back to, to traditional Medicare. Well, usually people who have traditional Medicare also have what we call a Medigap plan like AARP or something. They're no longer obligated to take you without underwriting, which means you have to pass a health screen now. So if you get cancer and you want to go to a cancer center not covered by your Medicare Advantage plan, you could be stuck. So this is where you need to make sure that you're doing your due diligence. It's almost like the hospital transparency thing on what is the you know, the more inexpensive or reasonable cost services. I know that it's going to be hard for Medicare patients to Really want to look at anything like that because they're really only interested in what their share of cost is. And if you're comfortable in your network and the physicians that you see, then I think that's fine. Then Medicare Advantage is probably a good option for you. But if you feel that there's a potential that you could need care in New York and you're in Arizona, or you could need to go to a cancer center, or you need a dialysis center, something outside of the constraints of a managed care plan or an HMO type. Insurance, then you may want to stick with traditional Medicare for now. That's all I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just recommending look at everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, obviously people have to look at what their finances are, uh, because you know a lot of folks go to the Medicare Advantage plans because they are more cost effective and they do have some additional perks. But to Terry's point. Once you come off of traditional Medicare Part B, if you had a supplemental, uh, what they refer to, as Terry said, as a Medigap plan, good luck getting re-underwritten. Yeah, restated on that is is getting it's almost impossible. Yeah,
1: you have to take a health. Yeah, my mother's 81
0: years old, and I told her she will never come off of Medicare Part B, period. As as for the rest of her life, there's just no way. But from a reason why people who are healthcare professionals are listening to this podcast is to understand that a couple of things, and 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 these are really the takeaways that I want you to have. One, you know, this is the reason why you are getting all of these requests for these HCC audits. It's because the plans are required to self audit, and they're required to notify the government of any overpayments or any misrepresentations of the diagnoses that they claimed additional dollars for. That leads to headaches for medical practices. I have a practice in New Jersey uh, just a couple of weeks ago. In a matter of like three or four days, they got six notices from from all these different Medicare Advantage plans that they were participating with. One plan wanted 270 medical records, another wanted 142, uh, one wanted, I think it was 397, and another one wanted 447. I mean, there's just no way that a physician's practice can accommodate that.
1: I'm sitting here with four requests from payers that they asked me to look at Medicare Advantage records. So, and I'm not even an HCC coder, so I subcontract subcontract some of that out. But I do know what I'm looking for when I'm looking for, you know, active diagnoses and policy understanding, and with how it reflects with the regulations. And so far, it's a mess. It's a mess.
0: But well, I'm sure it is.
1: Yeah, I just but, I just but, hope everybody. Where I was. Go- He lets their patients
0: know that they need to really do their due diligence. Absolutely. But where I was going with mine is look, when you start getting these requests for medical records, those numbers are not absolutes. You need to push back on them because these audits have nothing to do with you. These are audits of the Medicare Advantage plans. So the only way they can justify the payments that they are receiving from the federal payer program, from Medicare specifically is to be able to demonstrate that they have audited all of these medical records. But here's the thing. If these groups, like the four that I just recited in an earlier part of this podcast, if they actually had people auditing these medical records, shouldn't they have caught all of these things that the OIG caught? And shouldn't they have been required to self-disclose and voluntarily refund these to the federal payer program? To the medicare trust fund or shouldn't they have been required if they thought that because of the volume of some of these errors rising to like 70 80 90 percent of the total claims that were looked at shouldn't these medicare advantage plans have to uh shouldn't they be required to file an oig self-disclosure protocol because these could potentially rise to the level of fraud Well, we're we're,
1: talking about what the payers are getting from a bonus, you know, money. We didn't, we didn't mention what the physicians may be getting from their payers, from a a risk adjustment standpoint for, uh, you know, being that, that great doctor who treats all these sick patients, but are they really actively this sick as you're making them to be? So there's
0: some bonuses there as well. Yeah. I'm with you. All right. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. What do you think, Terry? I think we've beat that dead horse
1: <laughs> to the point where we probably don't need to keep going with that. But uh, we want to end on a positive. You know, we're just trying to make it so everyone has that insight in case you aren't on, you know, LinkedIn or you you don't subscribe to the OIG newsletter that comes on email. We want you to know, you know, and to be informed of what's out there, what's going on and you know, think of Medicare Advantage as social media. It's not always what you think it is when people post stuff you know, and, and you're seeing this stuff, it just be careful. And and luckily I think the best thing is that now the advertisements are going to damper down.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of the compliance guy, our hashtag Terry Tuesday episode. As always, thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on and hanging out with Terry and I just for a little while. We greatly appreciate it. We will be back next week with a All brand new episode. So until then, be good to yourself. But remember, be good to each other. Take care.